Well, today uh, I want to talk about um, kind of a subject that comes up quite often, and I think uh, uh, Michael's going to get this slide up here for you real quick. Um, I've entitled the message today, Is This God's Wrath? Because we're looking at a a global pandemic. We're looking at uh, really a lot of people being impacted by this virus. And it's it's wreaking havoc. And the, and the question that so many people are asking right now is, and many people, I think, believe, is that this virus is the judgment or the wrath of God coming against a, a corrupt and sinful uh, world, a sinful generation. And the thing is, is we, we look around and it's it's almost hard to believe how much sin is not only tolerated, but it's championed, it's, it's lauded, it's, it's applauded, it's approved of, it's glorified. And it's actually a heartbreaking thing to see when you see all these people lifting up sin and, and saying, no, this is good, it's not bad. But when I say it's hard to believe, actually, the reality is it shouldn't be hard to believe because Paul described what we're seeing right now. It's interesting to me, and I've said this many times, but technology changes, but people don't. So Paul wrote about the unrighteousness of men who don't honor God in Romans one twenty eight through 32. This won't be on the screen. This is just extra. Matter of fact, today there's going to be a lot of extra scripture that probably won't make it to the screen. So if you've got notes and you want to write this stuff down, it'd be a great time to do it. But in Romans one twenty eight through 32, it says, And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind and to what ought not to be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but they give approval to those who practice them. Um, first off, guys, before I get started anymore, I have my ceiling fan on today. It's a little warm up here, but sometimes that can cause weird sounds in the microphone. Is anybody hearing any sounds? Any? Uh, okay, good. We'll go ahead and keep it on so I don't die up here. Last week, I tried to sweat to death. Hallelujah. So we see here, Paul is warning us about this, this idea that uh, uh, these people know then it's not right, yet they do it anyway. And not only do they, they, they allow it, but they give approval to those who practice them. And this isn't the only time. Paul mentioned it to Timothy as well in 2 Timothy 3, 1 through 4. But I understand, but understand this, that in the last days there will come time of difficulty, for people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving God, treacherous, Reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasures rather than lovers of men. So the truth is we really shouldn't be surprised at all that all this stuff is happening. We shouldn't be surprised to see that our the, the sin is being approved of and is, is, is rampant right now. And here's the thing is that every single one of us know that God hates sin. So it's really easy to start thinking that, well, there's so much sin going on. There's so much approval of sin going on and God really hates sin. Maybe he really is doing something about it. I was looking yesterday as I was writing these notes, and at the time I was writing these notes, 1.2 million people has been infected by this virus, and it already has taken the life of 65,000 people. Two days ago, it was only up to like 47. 
Um, we're seeing an exponential increase in the number of people that are being affected and even killed by this virus. So we can we can easily, if we're not careful, begin to put those two things together. God hates sin. Tons of people are getting sick and dying. Maybe this is God's way of punishing the world for all the sin. So today, I actually want to take a look at Scripture to see what it has to say about God's judgment and His wrath. And I think that by studying His Word, we're going to be able to make a a thoughtful and well-founded judgment of our own. We're going to be able to judge if what is happening is actually God's judgment or His wrath being poured on His people. Or is this really, as I believe, just a part of living in a fallen world? I think that's supported by Scripture as well, and you'll see as we go through it. Because here's the thing, almost any time there's a major event like this, um, there are those who say that it's God unleashing his wrath on those who they assume deserve it. I remember when Hurricane Katrina happened and it it impacted New Orleans, um, people would say this all the time. They would say, no, this this was God's punishment of sin to those who were in New Orleans. But the area in New Orleans that's most most associated with this sin, the French Quarter and Bourbon Street, the old red light district, um, if you just do a little research, you can look. That part of town actually received almost no structural damage, where other parts of the town were completely ripped apart by the hurricane. God has some bad aim, I guess. And actually, I think if we look at the coronavirus and try to determine that this is the result of judgment, it would appear that God's being a little haphazard with this one as well, because the righteous and the unrighteous are equally its victim. So let's go ahead and get started. We're going to look at Jeremiah chapter 30, verses 23 through 24. It says, Behold the storm of the Lord. Wrath has gone forth, a whirling tempest. It will burst upon the head of the wicked. The fierce anger of the Lord will not turn back until he has executed and accomplished the intentions of his mind. In the latter days, you will understand this. Before we get too far into this, I want to be very clear, and I want you to understand that God's wrath is real. God does hate sin. Bruno agrees. God hates sin, and his wrath is real. There is a penalty for sin. In Jeremiah chapter 30 through 33, if you read these, this chunk of chapters here, it prophetically describes the restoration of Israel and their coming Messiah. And Jeremiah, in these, this verse here, is describing the wrath of the Lord and how he's not going to turn his back until God has executed and accomplished the intentions of his mind. So the question is, what is the intention of God's mind? And the intention is that sin and wickedness would be destroyed. God can't have any part of that. God actually hates sin. This is what it says in Psalms 5 verse 4. It says, For you are not a God who delights in wickedness. Evil may not dwell with you. God is holy, and as a result, he can't mix with sin. He can't intertwine or allow sin. This is what 1 John 1.5 says, This is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you that God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. You see, the thing is, if God were to allow sin, if God were to approve of sin, if God were to intertwine or mix with sin, he would no longer be holy. And if he was no longer holy, then he would no longer be God. And that's a problem because he is God. By his very nature, he is holy. By his very nature, he is righteous. By his very nature, he is just. And if he stops being any of those things, he stops being God. So because God is those things, he has to deal with sin. And he hates sin. And there is a penalty for sin. 
Isaiah prophesied this, describing the day of the Lord. In Isaiah 13:11, he says, I will punish the world for its evil in the wicked of their inequity, and I will put an end to the pomp of the arrogant and lay low the pompous pride of the ruthless. This is uh, uh, Isaiah prophesying about the day of the Lord. This is the day when Jesus returns. And then Paul says this in Romans 6.23, he says, The wages of sin is death. There's no way around it. Sin results in death. The penalty of sin is death, and there is a price to be paid. And then in Romans 3.23, he says that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Church, there's just no way around it. There is judgment for sin, and God's wrath is the result of sin. There, there, there will be judgment. And the truth is, is that there's not a single person that is righteous on their, their own. We all fall short. We all have the potential to, to, to reap the wrath of God. And we know that God is righteous and just. In Psalms 89.14, it says, Righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne. Steadfast love and faithfulness go before you. So we see that righteousness and justice are the foundation of his throne. God is just. He's righteous. Isaiah 61.8 says, For I, the Lord, love justice. I hate robbery and wrong. I will faithfully give them their recompense, and I will make an everlasting covenant with them. He says, I, the Lord, love justice, and I hate robbery and wrong so we know that god hates sin the result of sin there is a penalty for sin that's death that's god's wrath we know that god is righteous and just so here's some things that we can know before we even go any further is that that yes there's a penalty for sin and 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 people will pay it we can also know that god is righteous and he is just we can know that anybody who suffers the wrath of god deserves it and this is not us deciding that we deserve it i mean if 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 in our own courts we can decide that somebody is deserving of the death penalty because they committed a murder a murder how much more so can god justly determine who deserves punishment who deserves judgment who deserves his wrath he's a righteous god i want to encourage you that nobody who receives his wrath is undeserving he doesn't make mistakes so then we come to the question as I started this message saying, I don't believe that this virus is the wrath of God. If I don't think that this is the wrath of God, but I do believe that the wrath of God is real, why don't I believe this virus is the result of his wrath? Why do I not believe that it is some judgment of God for the sins of this corrupt generation? And the reason I believe that, and we're going to look at some, actually quite a few different uh, reasons I believe that, but the main one is that Jesus paid for it all. In 1 Peter 3.18, it says this, For Christ suffered once for sins, the righteous, speaking of Jesus, Jesus is the righteous, for the unrighteous. That's all of us. So for Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, made alive in the spirit now one thing i think that we can all agree on is that the old testament is is different from the new testament in one major way and that's we have jesus jesus came to the earth jesus gave his life jesus once and for all paid the penalty for sin for all unrighteous see all throughout the old testament we actually see many times that god is executing his judgment 
on sinners and on the unrighteous. We see what uh, what happened to the, the Egyptians when they tried to hold on to Israel. They had plagues come upon them and all ki- kinds of things. God's wrath was sent upon them. And we read stories of an entire uh, uh, people groups being wiped out because they were so corrupt, they were so bad that, that the, the, the wrath of God came upon them. Actually, many people um, have a problem with that. Uh, which is interesting to me, God will deal with an entire evil evil people group and God God, God wipes them out. He takes care of them and says, these people are too bad. We're, we're getting rid of them and people are, get upset about that because how could a good God do that? But these very same people will wonder, how come God's letting all this stuff going on in the world today? They, they want God to, to intervene on behalf of those who are evil, but when, when he does, they complain about it as well, which is just bonkers to me. You can't have it both ways. But as I described to you earlier, we can know that any time that God did this, he was right. He was just. He doesn't make mistakes. So all throughout the Old Testament, though, we do see God uh, executing his wrath and his judgment against uh, unrighteous people and sinners. And if we just look at that pattern, I can see why people will put two and two together and go, oh, well, he did it in the Old Testament. Then... Uh, maybe he's doing it now. He's, he's, he's going ahead and pouring out his wrath on people right now. But the thing is that the thing that we have right now that they didn't have in the Old Testament is that promise that they were looking forward to. Matter of fact, in the book of Hebrews, it says that many have died uh, not having not seeing the promise, but they were looking forward to it. And this promise that we have is, is the Messiah, is Jesus, it's salvation. Jesus didn't just come for those who might one day be saved. He didn't just give his life for the sins of a few. But the scripture says that he gave his life only once for sins, for all sins, for everybody's sins. Why do I say everybody sins? Because look at the scripture here. Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous. He was dying for the unrighteous. Before we accepted Jesus, every single believer who is righteous now because of the blood of the lamb is was unrighteous. He died for every unrighteous person. Everybody on the earth was unrighteous because we can't do it on our own. So, so he died once for the sins of the unrighteous. And I, I want you to understand the implication of that you have to really think about that you know we we understand that god died for our sins but he just he died for everybody's sins he says for the sins of unrighteous everybody is unrighteous romans 3 10 says none is righteous no not one which was quoting a scripture in the old testament but the great news for us is that because he died for us he paid the penalty for our sin he made it so that we could be righteous. He made it so we could stand before the, the throne of God with boldness and with confidence because we've been made right by what Christ has accomplished. But Jesus paid for the sins of all. And before you think that I'm just laboring too much on one scripture, this isn't the only time this idea is mentioned, this idea that Jesus died for the sins of the entire world, for the sins of everybody, for all sin, is well uh, documented in the New Testament. 1 Timothy 2, uh, 3-6 says, This is good and it is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God, there is one mediator between God and men, and that man, Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is a testimony given at the proper time. 
We see this idea again. Jesus gave himself as a ransom for all, for everybody. Not just some, not just a select few, but he gave himself as a ransom for all. 2 Corinthians 5, 18-19 says, All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. In Jesus, God reconciled the entire world to himself. Not counting their trespasses against him. That means that every single one of us has been reconciled to God. Every single one of us has had our sins paid for. Sin has been dealt with once and for all in Jesus Christ for the entire world. And what does it say that reconciling the world does? It says he was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. Keep that in mind as we're thinking about this virus somehow punishing people for their sin. 1 John 2, 2 says this, he is the propitiation. Propitiation is just a fancy word for atonement. It means he's paid the price. He's atoned for our sins. He says he is the propitiation for our sins, but not ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. Once again, this idea that Jesus died for the sins of the entire world. And if, if Jesus, if the sins of the entire world are paid for by Jesus, then why would God need to inflict additional judgment, additional wrath to pay for sins that have already been paid for. Why would, why would there need to be some sort of additional thing coming against? If Jesus paid for it all, why is there more payment that needs to be made? This is something that we have to ask ourselves as we're studying the scripture and we see over and over and over that Jesus paid for it all, that sin is dealt with. He's, we've been reconciled to God. If Jesus isn't enough, church, every single one of us are in a world of hurt. If Jesus wasn't enough, if there has to be more paid for our sins, more punishment, more judgment, more wrath, then we are in a, in a bad position. But some of you are, are smart, you know your Bible, and, and you're saying, Pastor Wayne, but I, I, th- I thought that those who don't get saved still suffer the wrath of God. And this is true. In Ephesians 5... Five through six, this is what it says. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or is covetous, that is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of this, because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Church, the Bible is very clear that the unrighteousness uh, that that unrighteousness, or as the scripture describes people here, uh, the sons of disobedience, it, it results in the wrath of God. It says the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. And that seems kind of strange because I just spent the whole time talking about how, how the, the wrath of God was satisfied in Jesus, how he died for, for the sins of all. So hold with me, write notes down, but we're going to take, we're going to look at all of that. But the reality is, is that it's, it's their sin that will cause the wrath of God to be poured out upon them. 
And this isn't the only verse that describes that either. In Romans 2, 3 through 5, it says, Do you suppose, O man, you who judge those who practice such things and yet do them yourselves, that you will escape the judgment of God? Or do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? But because of your hard and impenitent heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteousness, God's righteous judgment will be revealed. So now we're starting to see a little more clarity on what is actually happening here. For those of you, for those who don't repent, those who don't receive the free gift of salvation, they're going to incur wrath. If you put your trust in Jesus Christ, then you're not because the wrath has already been poured out on Jesus. But one thing to notice here in, in Romans uh, 2, 3 through 5, in verse 5 there, it says that they're storing up for themselves wrath for when on the day of judgment. Or on the day of wrath. This is when Jesus comes back. There will be a reckoning. This day of wrath is when people are going to be judged according to God's righteous judgment. But this idea of it being a later day, this wrath being occurred on a later day, that's not just here. Second Peter 3, 5-7 says, For they deliberately overlooked this fact, that the heavens existed long ago, and the earth was formed out of water and through water by the word of God, and that by means of these the world that then existed was deluged in water with water and perished by the same word the heavens and earth that now exist are stored up for fire there's this idea of storing up being kept until the day of judgment and the destruction of the ungodly now you remember this was was peter arguing uh for the resurrection there were people coming saying oh the resurrection is not happening that's all fake but peter says hey th- this has happened before these massive changes But Peter mentions that the day of judgment is coming when this stuff is stored up. So for those who don't accept the free gift of Jesus Christ, they are going to suffer the penalty for their sins. And this is such a foolish thing to do for for every person because they've already been paid for. It's like going to a restaurant and you have dinner and somebody looks over and they, they want to bless you so they buy your dinner. And the, the server comes and he says, look, your, your dinner's already been paid for. And you go, nope, nope, I'm going to pay for it myself. They make a conscience choice to pay that bill themselves when they reject the Holy Spirit as he convicts them of their need for a Savior. And that's the most heartbreaking thing, is that no one is going to hell because of their sins. We already looked. Sins have been paid for. Sins have been dealt with. They're going to hell because they didn't receive the free gift of Jesus Christ. Which is why the wrath is being stored up. They have to the moment that they die to accept Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. That is the point where they've rejected the Holy Spirit for the last time. And they don't have an opportunity again. Then the wrath that was being stored up for the way they lived their lives, for every sin, that wrath will come upon them because they chose not to receive the free gift of salvation. So to be sure that people that don't receive Jesus Christ, they are storing up for themselves wrath. But I don't believe the wrath is coming now because they still have an opportunity to respond. They still have an opportunity to receive that free gift of salvation. And sin has been dealt with in Jesus Christ. Another reason that I think that God is not uh, uh, involved in what's going on here is in Genesis 18:22 through 33. This is uh, quite a bit so we're going to read through it now. So the men turned 
from there and went toward Sodom. But Abraham still stood before the Lord. And then Abraham drew near and said, Will you indeed sweep away the righteous with the wicked? Suppose there are fifty righteous within the city. Will you then sweep away the place and not spare it for the fifty righteous who are in it? Far be it from you to do such a thing, to put the righteous to death with the wicked, so that the righteous fare as the wicked. Far be that from you. Shall not the judge of all the earth do what is just? And the Lord said, If I find at Sodom fifty righteous in the city, I will spare the whole place for their sake. And Abraham answered and said, Behold, I have undertaken to speak to the Lord. I am, I who am but dust and ashes. Suppose five of the fifty righteous are lacking. We destroy the, the city for lack of five and he said, I will not destroy it if I find 45 there. And again, he spoke to him and said, suppose 40 are found there. And he answered for the sake of 40, I will not do it. And then he said, oh, let not the Lord be angry and I will speak. Suppose 30 are found there. And he answered, I will not do it if I find 30. And he said, behold, I have undertaken to speak to the Lord. Suppose 20 are found there. And he answered for the sake of 20, I will not destroy it. And then he said, oh, let not the Lord be angry and I will speak again. But this once, suppose 10 are found there. And he answered, For the sake of ten, I will not destroy it. And the Lord went his way. And we had finished speaking to Abraham. And Abraham returned to his place. You see, another reason that I don't think that this is the wrath of God is because God is just. This virus is impacting everybody and everybody equally. It is affecting the righteous, those who have received Jesus Christ as their Lord as the Savior. I've known many Christians who I know are good, good Christian men. They love the Lord with all their heart, and they've had a deal. They've, they've contracted this virus, and they've dealt with it. But they're righteous. Even if you want to argue that maybe those who are unbelievers uh, are still liable to receive the judgment of, of God, the wrath of God, you can't argue that those who are born again, that those who are saved are going to receive it because the wrath of God has already been poured out on Jesus. So if this is impacting both the saved and the unsaved, the righteous and the unrighteous, I think we can know that it's not God because we see a picture here where, where God was going to save an entire city of corrupt, sinful people. He was going to spare Sodom for 10 people who were righteous. If there was just 10 people righteous living in it, and, and that because God, because Abraham pointed out to God, you're, you're a just God. You can't punish. In verse 25, that's where it says that here. Far be it from you to do such a thing to put the righteous to death with the wicked so that the righteous fares the wicked. God is just. He's not going to punish the righteous with the unrighteous. God agrees with Abraham here. He wouldn't do that. So he said he would spare the cities for just 10 righteous people. You know, it's not actually declared in the scripture how many people live in the city. Matter of fact, we don't really know. Um, different scholars estimate anywhere from as few as 600 people live in the city to as many as several hundred thousand people were living in the city of Sodom. And God was going to spare hundreds, if not thousands, hundreds of thousands of people who were evil, who were unrighteous, who were sinners. He was going to save them if there was just 10 righteous people living in that city. Would not God do the same today if there were 10 righteous people in a city? Would he not spare the city today? And even, even in destroying the city of Sodom, because they couldn't find 10 righteous people, there was a handful. And God pulled them out of the city before he destroyed it. If this is God's wrath, why are Christians facing it? 
Every person who puts their faith in Jesus Christ is righteous. Romans 3:22 through 24 says the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. The righteousness of God is ours in Christ Jesus, through faith in Christ Jesus for all who believe. Because there is no distinction. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, but all are justified by His grace as a gift to the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. So would God send a plague or pour out His wrath on the unrighteous so that it affects so many who are righteous? I think the scripture indicates that He wouldn't. But you can say, okay, Pastor Wayne, well, there's Christians being impacted. Maybe this is God disciplining Christians, right? Because we all know there's a scripture that says that uh, uh, God disciplines his children. And that's here, Hebrews 12, 5 through 7. And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My sons, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be wary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? It's true that the Lord disciplines his children. It's, it's obvious by looking at the scripture. But the question that we have to ask ourselves, and, and we actually run into a few problems when we try to apply this virus, this pandemic, to the discipline of God. First, which I'm not going to go too far in depth in today, but is what would this discipline look like? Whenever you're reading the scriptures, you can't just pick out a verse like this and come up in your mind what you think this discipline. Oh, the Lord disciplines his children. I'm going to decide what that discipline looks like. It's sickness. It's disease. It's it's them losing their job. We, we can't pick all these things we want. We have to look at what scripture says. And if you just go up to verse 3, just two verses above this before he gets into this discipline, the writer of Hebrews is actually referencing the hostility of sinners towards Jesus. The implication, it's the hostility of sinners. Persecution that is, that is referenced as discipline here. Second, the word discipline that's being used here uh, refers to instruction or chastising. It's not about punishment. It's about growth. It's about encouraging you to to. To, to grow and become better. It's about, like when you, when you discipline your children, you train your children, it's not about hurting them or killing them, it's about helping them grow and become better. The purpose of godly discipline is, is for us to grow, not to be killed. But this virus is killing so many. But third, and I think uh, more important for our discussion today, is it's the same problem we run into if we consider this the wrath of God. Because if it's the wrath of God and it's impacting the righteous and the unrighteous equally, I think we have to disqualify that as being the wrath of God. God disciplines his sons, his children. It says here that it's, it's, it's the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. The Lord disciplines his children. He doesn't discipline everybody. And you're not a child of God unless you receive Jesus Christ. It's those who believe who receive the right to be called a child of God. So if it's, if it's impacting unbelievers as well, can it be the discipline of God? I don't think it is. So then we're left with a valid question. If it's not wrath and it's not discipline, then what is it? Romans eight nineteen through 22 says this, For the creation waits with eager longing and for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, 
but because of him who subjected it in hope, that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. Church, we live in a fallen world. When Adam sinned, the world was introduced to death and to brokenness. Before Adam sinned, there was no sickness, there was no disease, there was no death. But when he was, when he decided to disobey God and he sinned, it brought in death and destruction in our world. And the and I believe that we're living in the last days. Matthew 24, 3-8 says, And he sat on the Mount of Olives, and the disciples came to him privately, saying, Tell us, when will these things be, and what will be the sign of your coming to the end of the age? And Jesus answered them, See that no one leads you astray, for many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and they will lead many astray. And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not alarmed, for this must take place. But the end is not yet, for nation will rise against nation, the kingdom against kingdom, and there will be famines and earthquakes in various places, and all these are but the beginning of birth pains. Church, we've been living in the last days for a couple thousand years now, and we're seeing this stuff happen with frequency and more often. There's going to be uh, wars and famines and earthquakes. We're going to see this stuff. It's going to continue increasing. And I don't believe that, that uh, I, I don't know when the end is coming. I can't tell you that. But for several thousand years, a couple thousand years, we have been living in the last days. And that's why we're seeing this stuff. The world is broken. It's hurting. In verse 22 here, Romans eight nineteen verse 22, says, We know the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. Jesus said all these are just the beginning of birth pains. We're seeing it now. And that's where I believe this virus and any other pandemic that's come before it comes from. We live in a broken and fallen world. But church, I want to encourage you because we don't have a reason to be afraid. Romans 8.18 says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. In Christ. We have strength and we can endure all things and any little thing that we go through right now, every minor thing, even if it seems so incredibly hard now is minor in comparison to spending an eternity with Jesus, an eternity with our God, an eternity in life. Jesus is the answer to all of this, to fear about what's going on. He's the answer to this virus, this pandemic. John 3.36 says this, Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. Church, I want you to know that if you have the Son, if you've accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, the wrath of God is not for you. Because Jesus paid that for you. That's why we had communion today, is because we remembered that he took care of all of that with your faith and trust and hope in Jesus Christ. All this stuff is minor in comparison. The only way that we can ensure that we don't endure the wrath of God is to place our trust in Jesus. And that's what happens on the day of judgment. The question isn't uh, what, what 
gives us our judgment isn't what sins have you committed and what not. There's not going to be a weighing of sins, but it's going to be, did you say yes to Jesus or did you not? And if you didn't say yes to Jesus, the wrath of God is upon you. But if you said yes to Jesus, then the wrath was already poured on his son and you don't have to endure it because he made you right with him. He makes us brand new. We are forgiven. We're set free from sin that seeks to control us and to destroy us. And we have no reason to fear the wrath of God because Jesus took it upon himself for us. We're assured eternal life in the presence of God. And church, none of the stuff that we're going through right now compares. Put your trust in him. Put your hope in him. This stuff is going to pass. The virus is going to pass. But we're going to see more. There will probably be more viruses. There's going to be more wars. There's going to be more earthquakes. There's going to be more of this stuff going on. We're in the last days. But we are secure in his son. Let's go ahead and bow our head. I want to give everyone a moment right now to go ahead and uh, put their trust in Jesus. We've looked and we see that uh, the reality is, is that If you don't receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, then you're in a rough spot. When you stand before God at the end, it's not going to be about your sin. It's going to be whether you receive the free gift of life, the free gift of salvation. And if you have, you pass out of judgment, you pass into his his glorious light. But if you have not received the free gift of salvation, you're going to pass into his wrath. The wrath that you've been storing up with every sin you've ever committed. But the good news is, is that Jesus gave his life for you. He loves you more than you can ever imagine. He loves you so much that, he, uh, that God sent his son to, to die on the cross to, to pay that penalty for sin that you can't pay. And the only thing that we have to do is put our trust in him and receive that free gift of salvation. You can't work for it. You can't live good enough. Even if you started today and never sinned another time for the rest of your life, you still wouldn't measure up. Because you have to be perfect. And the only way to do so is to put your trust in Jesus Christ. Because of what he did, he makes you that way. So this morning I want to give you an opportunity. If you've not received the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, go ahead and do so now. I want you to pray this prayer with me. A prayer of agreement. And if that's you today, as soon as we're done praying, I want you to put your name in the comments so we can reach out to you, so that we can pray with you, that we can encourage you in the Lord. But go ahead and and say this prayer with me right now. If you've never received the Lord Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, pray it with me. Heavenly Father, I just thank you that you loved me so much that you sent your Son to give his life on the cross to pay the penalty that I deserve, to pay for the sins that I've committed. And I deserve death for those sins. But Father, you loved me so much that you sent your son, that he gave his life on the cross, paying the penalty that I owed. And then he rose again so that I may have newness of life in him. Thank you that you've made me brand new. Thank you that you've given me a new life. Thank you that you've made me right with you. And from this day forward, I call Jesus my Lord and my Savior. In Jesus' name, amen. Right now, if that was you who went ahead and said that prayer, I want you to know that a miracle just took place inside of you. 
You've been made brand new. When you put your trust in Jesus Christ, he makes you brand new. You are from this moment forward right with God, regardless of anything you've ever done. You're right with him right now. And it's not about saying the prayer because actually the, the words have less to do with what happened versus your heart. If you just said the words, it doesn't mean anything. But if you believe the words that you said, if you did put your trust in Jesus Christ, you are born again, you are brand new, and you are right with God. And I want you to put that in the comments, whether on YouTube or on Facebook, wherever you're at, put that in the comments so I can reach out to you, that I can pray with you, that I can encourage you in the Lord for what you just did because you made an amazing decision. And you no longer have to worry about the wrath of God or the penalty for your sins because they've already been paid for. Church, let's go ahead and bow our heads.